to the Camerosity Podcast, the first ever open source film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ekman, and with me tonight, straight off two back-to-back 18-hour shifts, Mr. Coffee himself, Anthony Rue. Hey there, Anthony. Thank God for espresso. Should we keep making loud noises all night to keep <laughs> prevent you from falling asleep? Just rattle a can with some... Uh... You know, some washers in it every so often to keep me up. <laughs> All right, we'll do that. Uh, and of course, from Sydney, Australia, one week out of COVID lockdown is Mr. Theo Panagopoulos. How does freedom down under taste like, Theo? Oh, freedom tastes very sweet. It's very nice to get out there and uh, be able to shoot again and, and actually just being out and around. That's great to hear. Uh, remember the call-in lines are open. We always post the upcoming week's call-in link on MikeEckman.com, on our Camerosity Podcast Facebook page, and on a variety of film photography-related Facebook groups. So if you want to join in on the discussion, be sure to look for it. We had a lot of uh, feedback from last week uh, that was super positive. I, I was kind of on a high when we were done recording because I just I thought that Robert was so fascinating and just hearing so many of those stories. Um, just wanted to share a couple of the comments. Um, Hong Jun Lee says uh, he was halfway in and it's been a great podcast thus far. The book on making Kodak film sounds amazing. And then in a later post, uh, he said he ordered Robert's book. So Robert got at least one new sale uh, from his appearance. Donato Rondinelli uh, said Robert is so interesting. He has so much knowledge. Great find. Rob Jamison, terrific show called me a cruel parent to shut off the lights on this one to make the kids go to bed. Uh, this is worth an all-nighter. You know, I, I felt bad too, but you know, every everything has to come to an end. Uh, and then Benton Fritchoff just said, keep it up. These are awesome. So we had a lot of thumbs up. So uh, hope, hopefully if, if this is your first episode listening, this is episode nine, uh, I definitely encourage you to go back to episode eight. It looks like we have somebody in the waiting room here. So uh, I'm going to let uh, Skip Williams in. Hi, Mike. How are you? Great. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Skip Williams. I live in New Jersey, grew up in Georgia, and I bought my first camera in 1974. Was it so a Pentax? Have, it was not. Okay. Uh, it was an OM-1. And I oh, uh, I've been an Olympus fanboy ever since, the, since that time. I oh, was geez. a... I was a very prominent, a prominent member of the uh, the old um, Olympus mailing list for many, many years. I was on CompuServe, went in Olympus. Uh, I bought all of the all of the OM bodies. I shot them semi professionally. I had the uh, e, the E1 series. I had um, you know the, all. I had Micro Four Thirds stuff. Had it all. Uh, everything except those stupid yeah. autofocus uh, film cameras <laughs> that were awful. You know, I, I don't know if if uh, jumping into your first camera being an OM-1 was a smart decision because you set the bar awfully high from the very beginning. I did. I did. I looked really hard. I remember pouring over those modern popular photographies and looking through them and yeah. searching and going and see, going to the photo shows, going to, gosh, was it Comdex? I don't remember what it was uh, I went to and looking. I almost bought the Konica Auto Reflex T4. And uh, now I was like, no, that, uh, that OM-1 looks so good. I, I, I got to do that. And so Please. that was it. Uh, I, went to, I went to college and I had uh, me and two other guys. One guy had a Nikon F2 and an F3. And the other guy had a Pentax LX. And so it was kind of, you know, one of each system. Nobody had a Canon. There was no Canon guy. So, But the one I really liked, the one I also liked was the LX. 
The LX is, and I bought one. I finally bought one about three or four years ago, sent it to Eric Hendrickson in where is it, Tennessee or Florida and had him, you know, completely tear it apart and redo it. And it's a fabulous camera. I yeah. really like it. You'll be really pleased though, Skip, because um, my next article coming out in a couple of days um, and probably about the time the, the podcast gets released is actually a review on the OM1. Um, so uh, just just be don't be too cruel with me because I'm not an Olympus <laughs> user by, by, uh, I, by I, history. But uh, I, uh, I it is my next review up on photo thinking. Yeah, I've had uh, all the single digit bodies and I had... Um, I think I've had 32 different lenses over the years. Uh, is is the OM3 worth the ridiculous prices people charge for it? It's not. It's it just not. rarity. It's a nice camera. It's really a man, it's really a, um, a mechanical OM4. So it's a it's kind of like an, an OM1 reliability with the really fabulous OM4 average spot meter averaging metering where you can, you know, you can put it on highlighter shutter or highlight or shadow and and pop the shadow and it'll put it on zone three and give you what you want. Uh, or you can do, you know, the extremes and it'll give you, you know, one here and one here and it'll average them together. The metering on the, on the OM4 and the OM3 and 4T and 3T was nice, but is it worth it? No, not, yeah. not even close. You can buy an OM4 and an OM1 together for cheaper than an OM3. Yeah, yeah. And the three, you know, three or three TI, three TIs are the ones that are- Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the- um, and I love the OM1. I can't get close to them now. The finders, I, I can't get my eyes close enough to them, which is a problem. Um, so the LX has got a little bit more eye relief, uh, which helps. And I bought the uh, Action Finder. Um, oh, okay. Or you can hold it away from your... Uh, you ever seen that thing? Not in person. I mean, I've seen pictures of them online, but um, uh, I, you know, I can see you wear glasses. So do I, you know, and, and viewfinder is, is always a big thing for me. You know, when I do reviews, um, an otherwise excellent camera can sometimes be ruined by a poor viewfinder. So that the LX has a re- removable viewfinder, like, like a Nikon F3. So he slid yeah. off the, the pentaprism and this thing takes the place of it. And it looks, and it has, it's kind of weird looking. Kind of weird looking, at, yeah. So you hold it out in front of your face about that about you can see about that far. Okay. Oh, so it's simple, similar neat. to the SX70 um, Polaroid, where you don't actually hold it to your eye; you actually hold it forward a bit. Yeah, it's then, a little bit, a little bit, and you know, you put it out here, and then you can turn it this way. Oh, and it and, swivels. Oh, and it swivels, swivels to become a, a, a like a oh, waist wow. and you can actually take this thing off. There's a little button here, and you can pull this piece off. And you can get a high magnification finder to go on here as well. Wow, um, that's neat. But it's really nice for if you're used to you know, like a digital body where you're shooting like this, you can hold it up and just look in it really quick. Uh, but it's, it doesn't have um, diopter, okay. which is a little bit of a problem. Uh, whereas the other finder has uh, built-in diopter. We'll have to get a picture of that uh, to, to show on the Instagram page because. Anthony makes a list of uh, all the cameras we talk about and anything interesting we like to have a picture of afterwards so people can reference it. But that's a cool accessory. Yeah, this is a little, I don't have many doodads for this one, but this is what I do have. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a strange thing. So that is cool. Yeah. And yeah. it's not much, it's not much bigger than an OM1. It's really yeah. about the same size. It's a little more solid feeling. It's a little heavier. It's got a little bit different. Um, yeah. It's kind of a kind of a clunk shutter action. Yeah. Uh, 
but it's super nice. Uh, it's I really like it. So I actually. I actually just shot an LX probably three months ago, but it's, it all starts yeah. to blur. But uh, I, I did really like it too. It's it's a very solid, nice camera. My yeah. only my only digital camera is the Pentax K1, and so uh, you know I got myself an MX just so I could share all the lenses uh, between the the system and because you know the 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 K1 is is for me it was fantastic. It was a you know full frame digital camera that could take the came out lenses natively. So I've been, I sent my, my MX off to Eric to be overhauled and it's just, it's a workhorse. I mean, I love that camera, but I, I really wanted to get one of the LXs. And then I went onto Eric's website and he's like, uh, nope, not working on them anymore. Uh, electronics, uh, I really? just can't, can't get the parts anymore. Can't guarantee any repairs on them. You know, if it's something I can fix, I can fix it, but, uh, not offering any guarantees or any warranties on, on LX repairs anymore. Oh, but he's I'm working on it. He's working on, but no, like no warranty work, no, and and diminishing hopes of finding parts for it. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I don't buy. I mean, when I I used a camera one time, I used a um a Leica R8 one time, and absolutely one of my favorite pieces of gear to ever put in my hands. Fabulous, just the way it held, felt, the way it worked. But I am not buying an R8. No. <laughs> Yeah. Even the Leica flex lenses are just, they're, they're just prohibitive, you know, I mean, they're beautiful, but they're just prohibitive. Well, it's the cost, but I'm worried about the um, electronics. Now. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's absolutely no spares. There's, there's no, there's, if anything, that when things start dying and there are eight and there are nine, um, they're just not going to be fixable by mere mortals. So we just added uh, another uh, guest to the podcast that goes under the name, Mike. It's uh, mystery I- Mike. I, I can guess which mic it might be, but uh, he doesn't have his uh, Nomo vision turned on. So, can you hear my audio? Yeah, we can hear you, Mike. Okay. Oh, it's Mike, Mr. Mike it's Novak. Mike. Yeah, I've been trying to get this stupid Sony A7 II to work as a webcam all, all day, and I don't know, it just doesn't want to show my picture because I'm too beautiful, probably. Too beautiful, huh? Let's yeah. get the cheap ones. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, looks like Mark Faulkner just jumped in too. Uh, Mark uh, has been a previous uh, participant in one of the uh, Cocaine and Waffles episodes. So welcome back, Mark. Hello. And, and the great, um, the, the the missing episode that shall not be mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Mark, do you want to just introduce yourself again real quick? Oh, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Mark Faulkner. I have the website, the uh, thegashouse.com. This mainly started as my own personal catalog of cameras and has expanded somewhat. And I've even started doing little videos recently, which has been the whole yeah. new pain in the ass and kind of fun. Yeah, video editing is just that's 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 an area of uh, you know blogosphere that I have yet to delve into. I think I'll just do it the podcast and reviews for now. But uh, but Mark, uh, I, I stayed with Mark a couple of weeks ago at the end of September out in Silver Springs, Maryland. He and his wife were gracious enough to let me crash in their spare bedroom. And I liked the bed so much. I, I told my wife about the foam mattress bed that you guys had, and we went out and bought our own. So <laughs> nice. uh, I, I, I don't know if you can get a referral from them because they're <laughs> certainly not cheap. But um, that is true. But this is not the bed podcast. So uh, <laughs> we were just talking to Skip Williams. Uh, he just jumped in. Huge uh, Olympus fan. He was just showing off, uh, you know, or he was actually showing off a, a Pentax LX with a really neat viewfinder that I've, I've never seen before but um but welcome everybody hey mike the um the episode last week with that guy richard the uh, kodak guy robert yeah 
Robert, excuse me, was fabulous. Yeah. I, that, that guy, I, I was listening. I was, you know, he knew everything about, you know, you know, why there's no more um, color ectochrome, you know, you know, why there's no more tech pan, you know, what happened to this? It was, it was just like, you know, I, I just, I was listening to it today and I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, I, I, was excited to talk to him. I was familiar with his book. I knew who he was. And when he said he wanted to be on the show, I was like, that's super cool. You know, I mean, this is called the Camerosity podcast. So that's like a total Kodak thing right there. And in fact, our, uh, our logo, you know, the Camerosity, the colors, the yellow and red, I literally went to Kodak's website and saved a logo, opened it in Photoshop and used the eyedrop tool to get the exact shades for that. So while I, I won't say this is Kodak specific, you know, I, I love all cameras, but to have him on there. And like you said, just the amount of information that guy had was just phenomenal. I mean, you, we would just have him back on again. Yeah, he actually said he'd do it, you know, oh, um, nobody, nobody asked them about 127 film though. Did you? No, no, no we never, there, I mean, there were so many things we could have covered. Like I, I literally, because uh, you never know how how well a guest is going to be. You know, you could have the most knowledgeable person in the world, but some people aren't natural speakers. And so I'd never spoken to him before. So I I had come up with some pre, um, you know, questions just to ask in case you know we needed something to talk about, and we didn't get to half of mine. In fact, I, I mentioned on the show a couple of them just got brought up without me even having to ask the question. So, gosh, that yeah, you're right. That was that was really really cool. I was just I'm I'm really curious to know if he's got any inside scoop about what's going on with Fuji because there's all this speculation. Nobody seems to know. You know, Fuji doesn't talk. They don't give interviews about their film projects. Yeah. But as somebody who I mean, my God, he he, he developed Portra, you know, I mean, he was on the development team for Portra. You know, he was on the, the you know, final product manager for for Kodachrome. If anybody's going to have the inside scoop as to what is actually going on over in Japan, yeah. I mean, they, they had to have known. Well, because they just announced two more film stocks they discontinued, right? Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. there'll be a 50 sheet and yeah. uh, something else. What was the other one? The, the NS-160. That's right. What, what What's so special about NS-160? Well, it's just it's a, it's just one of their color stocks that they, yeah, they've just dropped another colored stock. It's It hasn't been available in the States for like five years. It's been Japan only. Um, it's just very similar to Portra 160, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't used it for a long time, so um, I've got sure. I've got it in four by five, and it's uh, you know it, it seems to be very well known in in, in large format for its uh, um, reciprocity failure uh, characteristics. What What's really interesting is he said that a lot of the films that we have now are even better than when when he was involved. Which, which it's actually quite promising because it means Kodak isn't just sitting back and just re-releasing films or, or just doing tweaks. They're actually doing uh, a fair bit of work in terms of R&D, uh, maybe not to the, to the same level as they used to. They don't have the billion-dollar budgets anymore, but it is it is actually quite encouraging to know that there is actually work being done to actually even improve what we have now. So is, is there, are you looking forward to Kodak Disc Film with Portra in it? <laughs> yeah might might um i've got the camera ready but uh, i'm not sure <laughs> kodak's new backing paper is a great improvement over the old backing paper <laughs> you, you could put the you could put the disc film in one of these what do you got there minox oh minox yeah it's about the one, same size one shot at a time 
one shot at a time. <laughs> the smallest negatives I've ever dealt with were on the Viewmaster camera, where it made the the single like stereo frames that you, uh, you would make for the Viewmaster reels. Yeah, you, you can buy, I mean, you can shoot regular 35 millimeter film and a Viewmaster camera. And the way you were supposed to do it is you would buy the camera and this special okay. splicer mm-hmm. where you would you would shoot your film when you were you'd get the film. It was slide film, of course. So you would get it developed. And then when the film was developed, you'd get a roll of developed slide positive film. And then you would put the developed film in this splicer. Or I don't know, maybe maybe it's more like a stamp or something. I don't know, a but cutter. Like a cutter, yeah. And the cutter would punch out the little tiny images for a Viewmaster reel, and then you would buy empty ones. So they, they can't you, be more than about you know ten millimeters. Yeah, tall. yeah, they're small. It's smaller than one ten. Um, but I, I I don't have the the reels or even the cutter. So all I did was just put color negative film in there and then developed it as C41 and then just scanned it on a computer and cropped it out. So I was able okay. to at least approximate what it would have looked like. The, the name of the guy who is doing the Kodachrome um, Super 8 is Adrian Cousins. If you go to the Vintage Film Shooters group, you'll find a video that he made of it. Okay. It's, it's on YouTube. It's, it's, it's really, really interesting. It goes through the whole process of how to develop Kodachrome using the original Kodachrome process. And you could see why it would be impossible for anyone to do this yeah. on, on a mass don't market to, basis. Mike, don't you have to couple, like, put the dyes in one at a time? Yeah. One at a time. Then you need to flash the film with the with the different colored lights. Oh, yeah. yeah. You have to you, flash you, the Yeah, flash you flash the exposed film to, to re-expose it to, to, to activate these colored dyes. It's, it's really a convoluted process. And it, man, I don't know. You, and, the, and the work this guy did on is incredible. You know, he, he's like, he like looked at, he looked at the Kodak patents for the chemistry and he just made them himself. If you go um, to my site, you know, obviously I, I promote my own site, but <laughs> episode or, um, Kepler's vault 82 is 50 years of Kodachrome. So um, I share a bunch of information about its history and how it was made. And there is a glimpse, I'm sorry, a drawing that gives a glimpse of how it's done. And like Mike's saying is they have different colored lights that have to be introduced at different steps of the, of the process. So, uh, and, and I'm sure that even this drawing is simplifying it by a lot. Onto the And now science, I think, that's actually coming through on the mic. Uh, yeah, it was coming. I had a video going on the other computer just for a second. So I'm going to drop. Okay. I'm going to drink. I'm going to drop the link to into to Mike and and uh, okay. Facebook yeah, Messenger. we'll put it in the in the show notes. But yeah, yeah. If you don't mind, I'm going to loop back into the miniature cameras because um I I've got this thing here. What is that? Um, a Mamiya 16 Deluxe EE, and it's a it's a what they consider miniature, which as not you can small. see, it's a bit bigger than a Minox. Not miniature. It's that's not miniature, and yeah. they're actually quite quite heavy too. And this week, I actually got the urge because there's been all this Minox talk and um, all this talk about miniature cameras um, that I needed to get the the film reels that go into this because that's that's what I'm missing here. It's a working one, but it's not hasn't got the actual film cartridges. 
ended up having yes that kind of thing um thanks skip skips holding up a, a cartridge um i ended up having to order another one of these cameras a, a different model at least so at least i got a different one and pay an extraordinary price and it's actually coming with a pack of unused film um wow. from from is the 16 millimeter film just normal yes it is yeah and it's um on the you know in the right cartridges which i can use in this camera as well Does it so have, i can reload um, them is it perfed film or is it solid? That I'm not sure. I believe um, it's this, this can take Yeah, this can take it's both. You can slit it. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the point. I need the cartridges so I can re-slit film uh, into them. It's, so it's these two, uh, the last two, uh, the two Max cameras I have, they both had film in them. So the people that sold them uh, didn't, didn't know how to get the film out. So I think this film is exposed. Have you, had, have you ever had lock develop it? Develop it. Yeah. I'm gonna send it to one of them and one of them's color. This one's chrome. This one slides. And this one is uh 100 Agpa pan, and I've got a couple other ones. When I do, I've got a couple of rolls from Blue Moon of unexposed. I'm gonna do them uh and then I'll send them all to them to get them done. Yeah, I I have horrible luck trying to home develop found film. I, I like one of, I do have one of these. Oh, is that the development tank? The, the, the Minox development tank. Yeah. yeah, we shared that in uh, whatever our Minox episode was. Which is, which is the <laughs> cutest little thing ever. That is cool. Yeah, the last time I was in Seattle, I went to the Shot on Film Store, which is a really fantastic resource out in Seattle. And uh, um, I you know, I told him I was looking for some you know, oddball films. And he pulled out a, a, a case of uh, Minox um it was a Minox Agfa promotional case, and it had, uh, I think, 15 or 20 rolls of brand new or new old stock um, Agfa Pan Pro 25, 50, 100, um, all in original sealed cartridges. So I've been using those for all my reloads. Um, you know, I shot them. Sorry. You know, anyway, so I have so I had all this old, you know, new old stock uh, Minox film in original factory canisters. And so it's given me all the, the cartridges for reloading that I could ever use. There was a guy, Mr. Lee or Mr. Lin, who was making um, brass cartridges, uh, I heard, but he stopped. Uh, he makes a slitter, but it's like $200. Uh, I bought one from some guy from Tamerhack in Italy, who's a 3D printed one. But there is a guy who was on uh, at the photography show in Birmingham, England, that was on uh, with the Sunday 16 podcast at MS Hobbies, and he's making brand new aluminum ones. That's cool. Yeah, uh, they're supposed to be available. They're like 49 pounds a piece. Um, so they are not cheap puppies, but no. uh, I'll probably get a couple of those. At least might have aluminum, they'll be, um, they'll last for a while. That's That's one of the things that. I'm encouraged about the ones I just bought for the Mamiya. They're, they're brass, so they can be yeah. reloaded and reused and continually reused. I'm a bit worried if they're plastic because uh, um, with with my fingers, I'm likely to break the things. <laughs> That's what I worry about. This, this, you, you know this plastic, the, the plasticizers are going to leak out of these things over time and they're going to get brittle. It's going to happen. Yeah. Mr. Novak, don't you have one of the later Kievs? I don't have a Kiev, no. Oh, I thought you had the, I thought you had the, like the, the newer version of the Kiev 30. Nope. What's the, oh, what's yeah, that? I have it. It's in the John Player special. That's my Kiev. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, don't you have one of the, the compact Kievs? 
I do. Yeah. I'm not down to my main camera room, but I've got, yeah, I've got one just like that. Yeah. Oh, so not, not, not the uh, Minox 35 clone, something different. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the, yeah. the key of 30 is the, it's a clone of the, of the, um, Minolta? Minolta 16. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. They use the, they use the same cartridges and I, I love this sound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> the, and for people listening, that's, that's actually where you, to actually advance it, you actually, um, sort of push push the camera into itself to to advance it so and it becomes about half the size just about what is that what, what is which camera it, is that it's the, the key of 30 the key of 30 it's the but is that I, which, which one's the right one to buy i have the minolta that's that that that, that camera is based on yeah you, how are those i've the never key, actually shot anything with mine key is fantastic a, it shoots it shoots uh unperforated 16 millimeter uh you can use uh I use Fuji microfilm in mine, and I also have uh, the uh, uh, film photography project is 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 uh, shooting. That's the um, one. Uh, unperforated uh, double X. Yeah, yeah so, Theo's, so Theo's holding up the. What? What? Why are you holding up those things? That, that, that's just evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, if I hold them up and show them, it means we we do have to include them in the in the, <laughs> in the show uh, notes. Instagram in the show notes, show yeah. notes, and it means that it. It just incurs gas, and I'm holding mine up too. You just can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it also means I've already bought one, so I don't mind if the prices go up. Oh, oh, Jesus. oh, oh my Jesus. god! What the heck is that? Oh, it's Mark, you have to send a picture of that. Mini, uh, mini cameras. You need to. So, Mark held up a suitcase full of like fifteen or so. There must have been twenty of them in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, we're going to get that. So it's it's a it looks like a padded like camera case with. It's did a you, spy case you, full of spy cameras. Yeah, there you go. A spy case full of spy Pretty cameras. Pretty much, yeah. That is that is cool. You guys are so bad. Well, you know, yeah. I I got to tell you, I'm a I'm a massive Minox fanboy, but the shots I get off of that that Kiev, they're really good. You know, I, I'm actually yeah, getting generally better photographs off of the the Kiev than I am out of the Minox, and yeah, I've, got, I've got five Minoxes that I shoot and. And the, the Kiev cost like $25 from the Ukraine um, with the developing tank. And uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, if you're going to get into sub miniature, I think it's the way I would definitely go. It's nice and cheap because you can pick them up pretty easily too. And Isn't it's, and um, they are fantastic fun. I'll do a self-promotion just like, uh, Isn't like yeah. earlier. And yeah, Photo got Thinking has, has, um, has a review on there. Um, of actually using the Kiev 30, and they are a lot of fun. Isn't the Yashica Edderon a uh, Minox clone? Yeah, I think it uses a straight Minox cartridge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've got one of those as well. I also have, like these Yashica 16s are kind of cool. I haven't shot much with them yet, but they have a nice little insert, almost like a magazine. Wow. Hmm. So that's I've a Yashica 16. Is that red? Yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got like five different colors. I've got red, gold, black, aqua, and gray. I think as well. And this this guy, they're right on. That's a nice suitcase you got there, mate. Full of <laughs> nice goodies. It's always, when I was moving. It's always good to when you collect the sub miniatures because they don't take up as much space. <laughs> exactly. You, although it probably works against you when you can't find something, though. <laughs> My favorite. Uh, this one's an off the wall one, but my favorite 16 millimeter camera that I've ever used uh, was a loner um, from Vlad. It's the KMZ Narcissus. 
It's a 16 millimeter SLR. Um, I have a review of it and I mean, this thing, it's an, it's a real SLR with an interchangeable viewfinder, interchangeable lenses. It's a cool cool little thing. Yeah. It shoots real in a regular uh, unperforated 16 millimeter film. Um, it normally comes with uh, a Vega 35 millimeter F 2.8 lens. And I have some sample images, uh, that I shot with microfilm. So, you know, a super high contrast film. I wish I had a better film stock, but the images I got from that were really cool. And, you you know, when you're holding any small camera, you know, I always just, I'm always impressed with how it can shrink things down. But when it's a full SLR with, you know, through the lens, composition you know a little tiny little lever to wind you know wind it on you could you could pop off the prism and do it at waist level if you want so uh, i wish i owned one though and and that's they're they're a bit they're a bit hard to come by but if you ever have an opportunity to pick up a kmz narciss n-a-r-c-i-s-s um for for when you look at the the cyrillic it looks like hep hep you <laughs> I always love when you see people who don't know anything about Soviet uh-huh. cameras try to try, you know, feds like, like can ham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> feds are usually like Q3D or something like that. Z- Zapku, Zapku camera, <laughs> Kineb. How does it compare in size to the little little uh, Pentax 110 SLR? It's about it's just about without. I was about to ask. Yeah, it's pretty damn close, but it's solid metal though. It's it's probably a lot heavier. I mean, I. I've held both, but never at the same time. But my instincts would say that the Soviet SLR is a bit heavier. You know, it's probably it's probably got a little bit of adamantium in there somewhere. <laughs> I, I went to the um, Brooklyn uh, Film Meet Film Camera Photography Meetup in Prospect Park a couple, maybe three weeks ago. They had like three hundred people there, uh, which was amazing. Uh, and a lady had a um, Pentax One Ten that she was taking shots of which I thought was just the coolest little thing ever. So cute. And the, and the images are really nice out of it too. I, That's what she said. She said she, all, yeah. she got really good images out, out of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. If you pair those up with a nice fine grain film, I mean, you can get really good images out of it, you know, I mean, but if you throw in some like seventies Orvo or something, you're just going to get a bunch of dots. <laughs> yeah. Today's emotions. I mean, I'm figuring in this Minox, I'll probably re-spool. I, I don't know, maybe the new Adox. And the ADOX 50 or something like that, like the finest screen I can think of, or 20, if you can get the 20. So, does anybody uh, have anything new that they want to share? Um, I do, Mike. Um, in, our, in your attempt to upstage me with uh, getting the deluxe <laughs> Helena, I, I couldn't let that go. So, during the week, I actually ordered, um, we should be here in a day or two, the the one the the one twenty TLR version of the Helena. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's going twin lens. I've gone twin lens, so this will be um an interesting experience. This have a comparison of how their thirty five versus one twenty cameras compare. Is that um, the only should... medium format one they did? I actually don't know. That's that's yeah. a really good question because uh, uh, it's not really a rabbit hole. I gone down or wish to go too far down because <laughs> Helene is not is exactly the brand to, to start collecting, I imagine. So is if you were to classify the Helene as at least the 35 millimeters, uh, mine says made in empire on the bottom. So, you know, it's it, they're produced in Hong Kong, right? So 
It's yes. not fair to call him a Chinese camera. Uh, but w- w- was well, this? Well, it a- is now. Well, it is now, right? <laughs> but would would you would you still call it a, a, a UK camera or or what? I mean, just refer to it as a Hong Kong. I mean, like it, the fact that it clearly says "Made in Empire." Um, on the bottom of it, you know, I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, for, forever, you know, Hong Kong was part of the British Empire, but, you know, not any longer. But I, I just I think it's interesting that they say that. Yeah, it's an interesting point, actually, with how you'd classify it. I think it just classifies a Hong Kong camera. Hong Kong camera. Yeah, yeah. it probably makes the most sense. Um, I was looking at a, um, has anybody ever used a, uh, one of the folding Mamma Mia 6s? I have, yeah. I've got, yeah, I've got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got what one. Think about it. The one with a moving film plane. Yeah, I've got yes. three broken ones. <laughs> three broken ones. <laughs> Not had good luck with that camera. That's what everybody seems to. I was thinking about getting something, and tell you the Super Icontas, the top end Super Icontas, that gotten completely out of control in price. So um, the mommy is really speaking nice. of. Or go ahead, go ahead, Mark. I was yeah, mommy's really nice to me. Like the 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 quality you get out of those images for the like the weight of the camera and the ease of use is I think is particularly nice given the uh, the age of it. So that that's what I thought. I mean, it looks really nice that you know you don't have to worry about the the front lenses going out of um, going out of plane because uh, as bad because the it focuses in the back. Um, the non automats have the little win- uh, wings that fold in, so if you want to flip to you know, six by four point five. You can do that. Um, I just thought the whole thing looked really good, and for you know, a couple hundred bucks or so. And if and if you had to have it done, you could get it done by some. I'm sure you could get it done by somebody too. One somebody. one word of caution for anybody looking to buy uh, the Mamiya Six, at least the early ones. The film pressure plate comes out. It's like it, it it's removable. Make sure it's in there. Make sure it's in there because you yeah. cannot use the camera without it. And I don't know yeah. of any way to fabricate that because it, it no, like slides a, in. Yeah, it's got a spring. It's got two spring yeah. clips on the back mm-hmm. of it. I saw it. And somebody else yeah. said that this uh, Japanese guy said the same thing in, 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 with subtitles. And he said, make sure when you buy it that you can yeah. the picture. And you can see yeah. the picture. It's pretty easy to see. Yeah, well, but if you don't know what to look for, you know, like you would just think right. like because if you open the back of it, it should be blocking the film plane. So if, yeah. if let's say you're on eBay or something, you're looking at them and you can see straight into the lens and you don't see it sitting next to the camera, do not buy that camera. I, I bought a Graflex back and there was no dark slide in it. And I was like, great. At least, honestly, that's probably still easier to find than the pressure plate for a Mamiya 6 though. Yeah. yeah. There's just certain accessories that if you don't have them, you know, other than buying a parts camera, you know, to salvage it from maybe it'd be your best bet. You know, sometimes you see people that'll say, you know, I broke this part or I lost this part or something like, where can I get a replacement? It's like buy another camera. Yeah. And that's, that's another, another, another problem the Mia sixes have is the rollers on the side on some of the models that move back and forth, the pressure plate, they can also break off as well. And um, what holds them in place and you end up with, um, film that's not being tensioned correctly and that's actually a really hard one to get a replace you, you literally have to get a donor camera to, to get that fixed but luckily there's there seems to be a lot of them which just the like um, fung, fungus magnets that seem to be for sale i've seen a lot of them with, both with fungus etching and i've heard that um the automats have problems with the sometimes with the linkages i've heard that it is the uh, olympus medium format lenses that are prone to be uh fungus magnets yeah I, that could be true yeah 
Mark, you just bought um, a Grayflex jet, right? Yes. Yep. That has a, a movable film plane too. That's 35 millimeter. So um, it's, it's, it's called a Grayflex 35 jet. It's got the, the, the most signature feature of that camera is that it's powered by a CO2 cartridge. So you would, you would normally open up the bottom um, and you would actually stick in a, like a CO2 cartridge from like a BB gun. And the pressure from the CO2 cartridge is what would advance the film and cock the shutter and fire it. But in addition to that, it also has, as you focus the camera, the film plane moves forward and backwards. Whose bright idea was to put a CO2 cartridge in a camera? Uh, Koa. Yeah, probably somebody that got fired too because they quickly changed <laughs> it where they took out took that out and made it purely mechanical again. Yeah. So. Is yours <laughs> have the working jet? No, no. This is one of the ones Mike I think called like on his uh, on his website. Yeah. Does yeah, that ever... cause you security problems getting onto airplanes now? Having <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe yeah, probably so. You know. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because I find it funny that to, as far as I know, nobody knows who that person is. Like they said he was a vintage camera enthusiast and had a bunch of cameras. So like you would think by now somebody would know who that was. So I saw somebody post that it was a um, TLR. That's well, David what? Silver, David Silver is responsible for that. He was okay. interviewed by the Washington Post and he just guessed like, I don't, uh, I mean, it's very, it's possible, you know, cause I mean, yes. the TLR does look, you know, if you don't know what it is, you, that a camera would not be the first thing I think a, a person would guess that to be, but that came from David Silver in his interview. But I, I don't think that that's based on fact. Like it, it yeah. literally could have been a, a Canon SLR. You know, and someone else said it's an RB67, funny enough, that yeah. pulled, pulled out, which. I, I'm just amazed oh, at the, I'm just. I, I, maybe I'm a little bit insensitive and I've, I've been around this stuff for so long. I'm just amazed at the stupidity of somebody to think that. I can understand, you know, they say you see something, you say something, right? Okay, fine. Like, all right, hey, I think this guy has something. Like, don't the stewardesses to say, hey, you know, I mean, maybe they're not supposed to say anything, but I mean, I went, I visited Mark, I said earlier, and I had like eight cameras in my bag and it took me half an hour to go through custom, not customs, but TSA. And I mean, they didn't give me any trouble, but they had to take everything out of my bag and check it. Really? You know? Yeah. It took every camera out. Um, the O'Hare actually was better than Dulles was going back. Dulles, the guy unraveled everything. And I had to explain what everything was. I mean, he wasn't like accusatory at all. Like they were totally cool. Um, you know, I had my film hand checked. So, you know, they, they take these swabs or whatever to see if it's got explosive powder on it or something. Mm -hmm. So it, it definitely is a, a hassle, but like, I guess I, I was naive to think that once you go through TSA with vintage film cameras, once you're on the plane, no one's going to assume you have a bomb. Well, but, they, th they thought he had a bomb and was reading the manual for the right. bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just kept saying in, in every one of those posts, I kept saying he was reading MikeEckman.com. Like, I don't know that to be true at all, but <laughs> since nobody seems to know who this guy now is. Now you're on the no-fly list, I'm Mike. just going to, well, I'm not going anywhere with him soon. It's, I mean, it's actually it's interesting that people don't sort of know what they are. I mean, funny enough, I'm actually shooting one of these at the moment, but it's a, um, I'm not sure if you can see this on here, yeah, but I'll yeah. explain what it is. It's a Nikon Flex. And and no, it's not the the long lost Nikon TLR, um, but it's it's if you look at it, it's a bit hard to show on on the here, but we'll post a picture on it. 
but all the gears are on the outside, so it looks very industrial. Like, imagine yeah. if something like that got pulled out. That would be, you know, quite um, quite a bit of a, a shock to someone thinking, you know, this could be a bomb. But, uh, right. I mean, the, the two yeah. lenses on the front, surely that, that gives it away. That, that. I, I'd say, honestly, the only camera I would, I would not feel comfortable with pulling out on a plane would be like the Zenit photo sniper. Like I, I feel I'm like going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be the one camera, like be like, okay, I had that, I had that coming. Um, or, the, or, or the gun camera. Yeah. Yeah. The little, the tiny gun camera, like they actually used to mount cameras to real guns. So, uh, <laughs> but I don't know, like I I'm, I'm interested to find out, like I have to imagine at some point that guy is going to go on a podcast or something and tell his story. Um, you know, a lot of people are hypothesizing he's going to sue the airline, you know, uh, and maybe he will, maybe he won't. But, you know, it just it seems like if it was somebody from one of our collective groups at some point, someone would be like, oh, yeah, that was Tim, you know. <laughs> but it, it, it is interesting to find out, though, who it could be. But I, I'll tell you, I mean, like I said, I don't have any trips planned anytime soon, but uh, I'm going to keep my stuff in the bag. <laughs> what, you, what did you have on the plane as you went back and forth? Um, what, what um Nothing Normal to, stuff. yeah. I mean, like I, when I travel, I, I don't like bringing strange cameras only because the, the rate of failure is higher. You know, like if, sure. if I'm going to lose my bag, I don't want to have a rare, you know, Bell and Howell photon or something in the bag or something like that. So I had, I had a Minolta 800, um, autofocus SLR. I had my Helena. Um, I did have, um, the hell? I had a folding Franca. You know, so nothing too crazy looking, but, you know, for all we know, this guy had a Leica, you know, I mean, who knows what it was, you know, so um, I guess you just can't be, um, you can't take anything for, for granted anymore. Well, all, all I can say, guys, is that through my work, my passport stamps for the last five years are like Colombia, El Salvador, Honduras, <laughs> El Salvador, <laughs> Colombia. So if you want to go into yeah, TSA- so how much. How much cocaine can you fit inside a Rolex? <laughs> if you if you if you want to go and you know and be detained in TSA jail, just fly with me sometime, and you'll get to the, you know, you'll get to the TSA checkpoint or the customs control, and they'll say, uh, "Yes, uh, Mr. Rua, please please come with us over here. We need to to uh, talk to you for a second about some issues." And I mean, I literally like I, last time I flew in through LAX, it was like I'd been in. I got my passport stolen along with five cameras in, in Medellin, Colombia. And five days later, I'm in Manila and coming back through uh, LAX. I was detained for five hours oh uh, in, in, the, in the jail while they uh, tried to sort out what exactly I was doing, moving through all of these uh, these countries. In yeah, never, I am never traveling with you ever. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, you know, you're visiting farms, you've got like, you know, fertilizer on your shoes. Yeah. And, uh, and if I had samples of both green coffee and green and raw cacao, and there's some vapor that it gives off when they do the swabbing, uh, that shows up as explosives. Uh, oh, so Jesus. everything gets laid out, you know, it's like, it's, 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 it's a, it's an adventure traveling with me. Are you like a food inspector for the, or something like that? No, I've, I work in the coffee and cacao trade. So I'm down on okay. farms working with, with farmers, uh, trying to like establish, you know, values for crops. Uh, so I'm down doing, uh, like competitions and tastings with, with, with farmers. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's always an adventure. Can you get the um the the um, fresh cacao in the U.S. anywhere? Uh, I mean, yes, sort of. 
it's qualified. I mean, you can get rock a cow. Um, there's no, uh, there's no growing zone in the United States, like in, in this, in the, in the immediate States where there's cacao that grows. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just not the right grow zone. We, we, we were at a place where they were growing and they plucked it off the tree and cracked it open. And, you know, we were eating the, the white flesh. The pulp, it yeah. Really, it's, it's really tasty. It was very nice. Yeah. It's pretty tasty. So uh, circling back to the, uh, Zeiss Iconta right. and the super Iconta. Um, last about 10 days ago now, Mr. Ekman and I kind of got sucked into a, a massive auction of a, of a collection out of Duluth, Georgia, and we both kind of lost our heads, me a little less, but, uh, the one particular lot that I got lucky on for $150, there was a, uh, uh, super Iconta 530, And it turned out to be from the very first year of production of the super Iconta and six, four, five. And then I also got a, uh, a, a 532.16B from the very last run before they switched to the uh, the different top plate rangefinder. Um, so I got the, the Alpha and the Omega of the Super Icontas. And I got to tell you, I'm in love with shooting those cameras. Um, you know, even the even gee, the thanks. old one. <laughs> What's that? The G thanks. <laughs> they were no, really. You should. I mean, I mean, I got I, mean, I got very lucky on the price on those two. Um, but if you've, if you've, you know, I don't understand why, uh, you know, if you're looking for a, a, a six by six, you know, forget, I mean, I get so much more pleasure shooting, shooting that super Iconta than, than I ever got out of shooting a Hasselblad or even the Rollerflex. I mean, I just, that camera is such a cool camera to travel with. It folds down, fits in your pocket. Uh, those, the Tessar lenses are fantastic. Uh, you know, Mike, uh, Novak's the one that kind of got me into this when he loaned me his pre-war super Iconta about two years ago. Um, and, uh, I just, I, I gotta tell you, I just, I think that it's a camera that's vastly, I, mean, I you know, I think the values are going up on these cameras. I think they're going to be getting more expensive. Uh, but right now you can get one for not a bad price. Um, and I mean, they go everywhere from, 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 from six, four, five up to six by nine. Um, how, how much are the six by sixes? I, well, I mean, oh, they, I go, just, they, they, they go bigger than six by nine. Oh yeah. 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 They, there's yeah, they there's one for the six, one sixteen film. Right. That, right. Uh, that Eric Sluis has that he's had converted to one twenty. Yeah. They're just, they're such, and they're such cool mechanical cameras. I mean, there's just, they're a real joy to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I, you know, as I, I shoot more and more cameras, I mean, it, it, I find it harder and harder to get really excited about more modern cameras, you know, like, um, you know, a good example, it's, this is a weird comparison, but I had three Fuji, the GS 645. I had the autofocus one. Um, I had the collapsible one. And then the third one that has like that cage, that rigid cage around the lens. And they were cool. I, I really did like shooting the autofocus one. Uh, the wide angle lens on it was, was neat. But like, after I shot one roll, I was like, okay, like that was cool. Like, it's a point and shoot medium format camera. Well, th- those were loaned to me by Kurt Ingham. And then the, in the next batch, I talked about this, I think last week, he sent me two exact uh, um, VPs, you know, the 127s. And those cameras are infinitely cooler. You know, I, I realized comparing a 127 exact to do a Fuji 645 is weird, but I, I get so much more like, much of a thrill out of like the pre-war, you know, the quirkier cameras, the ones that, you know, require a little bit more effort to shoot than just the, the really basic ones. 
Uh, Mark's holding up. Which, yep, why Mark, don't you explain Corfield, what you have there, Mark? Corfield Paraflex. The, uh, Corfield Paraflex. Yeah, I love this thing. Now. It's yeah. only shot one roll through it, but it feels amazing. I love the fact that you have like two-handed focusing. Uh, it's great. Here's my Corfield literally sitting. I That was not staged. I literally just had it sitting right here. <laughs> so I, have the, the, I have the same. It's a what, it's, Mark? I, I have, I have the same one Mark, Mark has, but the shutter just kind of disattached itself. So what's the thing on the top? Here, that above, what's the thing on the top? Not the fire. Periscope here. So you, you press this down so you can look through and focus with this with the other hand. So it's it's not really it's works sort of like an SLR, except it doesn't have a mirror that flips up and down. You have this per, this periscope that you look through and then you frame it through the the viewfinder here. So, so, so it's, it's got so a, uh, it's, a bright line a, finder. It's a range finder body, right? So it's it uses the yeah. M M39 like a thread mount screw. Okay. So you can you can put rangefinder lenses on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a regular now. He, I have a later version where the viewfinder is integrated, but you have you have two windows like a Leica. One of them just for composing your image, and then the second window when you cock the shutter on mine at least marks is a little different. But when you cock the shutter inside uh, the film compartment, a little mirror drops down in in the direct path of the film plane. Like, like an SLR, but the mirror is very small. It doesn't cover the entire image, just the very center of it. So then you look through a second window, but there's a piece of ground glass. So you can focus on the ground glass, just like an SLR. So, so picture holding a rangefinder, mm-hmm. but instead of using a rangefinder, you're focusing through the lens on a, a small piece of ground glass to get razor sharp focus. And then once you have it correctly dialed in for focus, when you press the shutter release, the periscope pops up out of the way and then the shutter, the image is exposed. Oh, so um, your periscope was pop, popped up, Mark. Yeah, the, yeah this, this mine's completely manual. I, I press it down to take a look. Then once it's focused, then, or once it's focused there, then I look through and compose through the secondary one on the top here. This one also has separate uh, film, re, film winding as well as shutter cocking mechanisms completely separate. Mm-hmm. So it's older. Yeah, yeah. It is older. Yeah. Mine is is coupled to the film advance. But one thing that you kind of forget about is most rangefinders can't focus closer than three feet. You yeah. know, um, like the, the, the Nikkor 50 F2 can go down to 1.5 feet, but not, it's not rangefinder coupled below three or maybe even three and a half. I can't remember. But with, with the Paraflex... This, the lens on mine, at least, I don't know about Mark's, it actually focuses down to nine inches. So you're, you're basically using like a rangefinder body and, and a rangefinder lens. But since you're focusing like a reflex camera, you can, you can get up to a flower or something nine inches away and still get a properly in focus image. So it's like um, early 50s? Yeah, this one it originally came out in 1953. This one is the third version of it that came out in 1955. And just like Mike's, yeah, the, the focus goes all the way back around to infinity again. You can focus in, yeah, probably about nine, ten inches away. So, so it just it's a nice, nice feeling camera. I didn't expect to like it as much. I thought it was just kind of a cool idea, but actually shooting, even though on this one I have to like look down from the top when I'm taking when I'm focusing, unlike the one Mike has, but uh, it's just a real joy to use. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a design that worked really really well, but it obviously didn't catch on. You know, nobody else really did anything with it. Um, a lot of it um, had to do with just the price of importing German cameras into the UK in the fifties was just prohibitively high. So 
some people uh, just started to get creative and come up with new ways of doing things. And uh, I mean, it lasted long enough, I think, into the early 60s. Um, I will have a review of this eventually, but I haven't completed my history yet for it. So um, I don't have all the details. But like, like Mark said, I didn't expect to like it as much as I do. Um, I've gotten, um, I've shot a couple rolls of film already in this one and the results have been, you know, I don't want to say like better than anything I've ever shot before, but when you, when you have a fun experience shooting and you enjoy shooting, you know, cause I think for me at least, um, having fun while shooting a camera just naturally makes your images better. I think, you know, if, if I just give you a camera and say, shoot this camera and you're like, well, I don't want to, we'll shoot it anyway you're going to get a bunch of uninspired, you know, sure. shots. But if, if you, if you're out and you want a camera and you're enjoying using it and you're having fun with it, I think that that usually gets reflected in your photography. So, you know, when I look back at the images I'm getting from mine, I think there's a little more love uh, in there than, than maybe some other cameras where it sort of becomes robotic. A lot of the problem I have are the squinty finders. You would not like this then. <laughs> 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 he wouldn't like a uh what the Certo Delina three is Delina, it? yeah, with the rice yeah. like, rice oh, size God, it's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's it's impossible to even clean that back yeah. on that. You it's can't like even you, gotta, you can't even fit the tip of a Q tip in there to clean. Yeah, That's no. how tiny it is. So I'll use these things. So he's uh Skip he, is holding up an aux is that an Argus viewfinder? Oh no, this is a Voigtlander contour. Okay, all right. I can't see. So but it's it, a, it's a very, it's a weird. Anybody? I love those finder? things. I love yeah. that. Yeah, my, my Mike's obviously using. I have like two or three of them, and for a fine Mike, Mike Ekman couldn't use one though. What? Why not? Because he, you need to have good vision in both eyes. Yeah, you do. I think, we, I think we've discussed that. Mike, haven't we? Yeah, I'm I'm blind in one eye, so I'm, uh, I'm a well, left that would I'm be a left problem. eye shooter. Yeah, um, you need, it, but but you just you you look in it and it um it superimposes a black field with a bright line with a white line around it. Oh, like, wow! Like, it's really weird. And when you open both eyes, your brain uh, actually the blends up. the two images together. Yeah, kind of, the uh, the sport it, finder, it, the sport yeah. finder on Ricoh TLRs are the same. You, you, with the projected frame line over your opposite eye. Wait, yeah. what? On the like the diacord? Yeah, I think it's the diacord. It might be the earlier ones. I know it's on my uh, Rico forty four. Huh. Yeah, you can get a six. I'll have by to six. look at the diacord and see if there's it is. A, there's a square version as well. There's a, a, a yeah. thirty five millimeter size and there's a square size. Well, I know what's going on my watch list here in a few months. <laughs> you really ought to get one. And and don't there's let a, anybody. It's there's a six, six by nine version too. Yeah, that, that's no different, but is that different than a 35 millimeter version? I'm not sure. I think it's no. the same. Oh, it's the same. Okay. Well, no, it, I know that if Johnny were here, one. he's a massive fan of these things. Who is? Johnny Sisson. Johnny Sisson. Oh, Johnny Sisson is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, there's, there's, um, they all say 35 millimeter, but they're not 35 millimeter finders. They're 50s. They're, there's no magnification yeah. in them. So you, and there were supposedly, it was a mythical 35 millimeter lens version, but I've never seen a picture of it. I've never seen a real drawing of it. I've certainly never seen one. They're all either 50 like this, they're like this, or they're the one they say six by six on them and they're square. The frame lines are square. Wow. And they're 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 that not they're, they're not expensive. 
but you, you use one and I, I, I stick them on as many cameras as I can. They were actually sold with the um, Vitessa and the Prominent uh, and the Vitos. What was that mounted to? Was that a Contax too? No, this is a Kiev. It is a Kiev? Okay. Very yeah, nice. I'm too, cheap. I'm too cheap to buy a uh, Contax. I have a Kiev 3. So it's this one is- of the earlier Kievs, shortly after they took over from Zeiss. And. Yeah, this one's early. It's a four, but I think it's, I think it's early. Yeah. My three, somebody clearly loved this camera because they replaced all the knobs on the tops with the ones from a real contacts. So like it's, it's in English. It's got, you know, ASA and um, DIN numbers instead of GUST or GOST. Um, somebody replaced the knurled sharp ring around the viewfinder that scratches glasses really bad with a rubber one and it's oh, okay so so anthony's hold he's see you got your virtual background on it's going to screw that up i can see it now is that but a they, contacts that's a contact that's a contacts uh that's a three three a yeah so um yeah this, but yeah this, but this what the- i'm saying though is the kievs you get a good one and they're they're just as good mm-hmm. you know un- unlike and i'm a fan of the zorkies and the feds so you know but those were copies. They were made, the, if they're feds, they were made by children. Um, you know, the Zorkis were made in, you know, in, in Russia. Um, many of those cameras are great shooters, but they are still copies. But the, the Kievs were built using the same machinery. If you get an earlier one from about 49 to maybe mid 50s, there's a high probability it's made with actual Zeiss parts. You know, of course, I need to send you one of these. So I, I, I've got Kiev's and I've got two different contacts and they're just, there's they're smoother. No, definitely different. I will put it up to my Kiev three in terms of smoothness, which I'm, I'm convinced my Kiev three is a contacts. It just says, cause it's, it's so much smoother than my two fours. Well, the, the early ones were actually made with contact. Yeah. Parts. They, 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 yeah. they, coer- they, they, coerced the uh or uh, you know the workers to put them together uh as they were using up the old parts this one is a serial number that says 57 so i'm assuming this is yeah a little bit later later. yeah um a a fun bit of trivia is you know most people assume that the zeiss contacts so like ignoring the post-war contacts you know, the earlier contacts has had the wider rangefinder base like the Kievs do. But, um, you know, when they re when they started making the, the contacts again in Stuttgart, they, they redesigned the rangefinder, you know, the top plates different and such like that. But there was a short period of time when the Soviets had already relocated most of the machinery to the Ukraine, but they didn't take all of the German engineers out of Dresden. They sent them down to Jena and they didn't have any work to do. So these were ex-contacts repairmen or engineers or assembly line workers or whatever. So they just started doing what they knew how to do and making more contacts. So if you're into contacts collecting, there are incredibly rare and incredibly valuable post-war Yena contacts that they're built exactly the same as the pre-war ones externally, at least. Uh, and, and I am sure some Zeiss historian is going to find something I'm about to say here and just kill me on this. But internally, there are differences. 
Um, the lenses that they use on them only exist on those models. But um, so there are real German, you know, made in Germany contacts that aren't Kievs that were made post-war um, like the contacts too. But unfortunately, if you don't know how to take them apart and look, you would never know the difference. So, um, but, but the majority of the post-war contacts is, got you know we're, we're turned we're turned into kievs so i do like half frames i don't know if people like half no, the, the the no-name kievs are those the early early ones yeah those those are basically ones made in in uh in ukraine um mm-hmm. you, you basically can call them kievs but uh they're probably made from from all contacts parts too you know which is to say they're gonna they're gonna be good cameras and people will pay a premium for those because it's interesting to not have any name on there but um they, they are they plain they just don't have a name like so where where the name contacts or kiev should be it's just empty huh. they, they mike mike called it a no name that's that's usually what they're referred to as this no name contacts or no name <laughs> kievs but yeah there's just a whole bunch of just fascinating history that occurred during that period because if you think about it you know dresden you know even decades before the war was was one of germany's biggest manufacturing districts i mean they made more than just cameras there you know they had rail yards they had access to raw materials they had some of the brightest mines in all of germany were just located through dresden you know um for for anybody into the history of world war ii the allies bombed the ever-living crap out of dresden in early 45 you know, unfortunately, destroyed a lot of camera factories, but they just knew that that's where a huge amount of Germany's industry was. And they, they for whatever reason, couldn't get there. Uh, but when they finally did, they just absolutely massacred. Just, you know, I don't I don't have the stats in front of me, but hundreds of thousands of bombs just constantly dropping them on Dresden. Uh, if you or- read you read Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, you get a pretty graphic description of what yeah. it was like in Dresden. Yeah. But I mean, the reason they did that, or at least the reason they thought they needed to do that was there was just so much industry there. And unfortunately, you know, for us camera collectors, a lot of history was lost. But, you know, prior to the war, um, so much of, of manufacturing was done there. In fact, when when East and West Germany separated, you know, Zeiss Icon um, was, you know, had the East and West German. Most of the West German factories, like the Contessa factory, uh, really only could build folders. You know, that's why a lot of the early post-war Zeiss cameras were like the Iconta folders, you know, the, the simple, like the Contina. You know, a lot of those were the first ones made because they couldn't make really complicated cameras. And it took a little while. I think it was 1950, uh, maybe 49, but when when the, the post-war German contacts started getting made again, um, you know, because they just they didn't have the they didn't have the factory set up. They didn't have the workers. So when the Soviet Union got what became East Germany, w- which included Dresden, that's how they were able to get so much of that. And there was so much, you know, respect for Zeiss, their lenses, their cameras that, it you know, it became war reparations. And that's, you know, why they took it. Um, and it was, you know, it was legal. It wasn't like it was a war. I mean, you could argue that Soviet Union did some war crimes um, uh, to the people, but you know they had it in their right to to commandeer that factory and, and start producing them under under um, under their own name. So you know, like I was saying earlier, 
you know, Zorkies and Feds are are good. You know, they're inexpensive. They're good copies, but they're still copies. Whereas the Kievs were were just the continuation of the same lineage. Of course, quality tro- control dropped over the years as those machines wore out. The people working on them died, and of course, all the spare parts died too. Did you hear? Did you hear my uh, my my uh, Halloween camera come back to life during the middle of that buzzing at me? Oh, was it a bomb? It wasn't, but it was uh, one of these wacky things. Oh, the dial. The dial, and it needs to be taken apart, and the gears need to be greased because it's a. Uh, it doesn't want to wind or unwind. So I have a, a Halloween camera, the dad. You hear, this? It, you hear, you hear it. When I shake it, it kind of, uh, you know, kind of. It, there you go. Yeah. It just needs to be taken apart and greased and cleaned. And greased up. Yeah. Those dials are fun. I, I, I said, I wished uh, that they had made a left and a right-handed version of that camera so that you could operate them simultaneously. Cause it's, it's, it's very it's, cute it's, though. Yeah. There, you know, that's a camera that, it, you don't see the appeal until you hold it, though. Like if if you just look at a picture of it, it's like I, I you know, it's, it's it looks to, like a, a transistor radio. Yeah, yeah, because it because the the metering is those little circles around the lens. Mm-hmm. It's very very holdable. It's got a CDS meter, which means yeah. it's not dead. Yeah, uh, and plus and plus it came in these you know it's, it came in these hard cases. So if they came in those, even if they had selenium, they would have been yeah. shut away. So that helps. Yeah, my review of uh, of the dial was Anthony's. You loaned it to me. I picked up, this is a Topcon arm. I picked this up about two years ago and it was dead. And I really wanted to shoot one of these because I like the RE, the RE Super so much. And the Super Ds are awesome. The early? This is the early Topcon R. It's basically the RE. It's a beast. It's super heavy. You know, it's before the DM, before the Super DM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is from 60 or 58, I think. 57 okay. or 58, I don't have the top of my head, but it's got the external coupled lens. So your the automatic diaphragm is triggered by the button on there. Uh, it's, it's just- Is it shooting um, uh, exacta mount? Yep, it uses the same mount as the RE. So, you know, it's got the exact amount on it, but it didn't work. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll get another one. Well, you know, these things are hard to find. When you do find them, they never have the right lens. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try and take this thing apart. So I took it apart. I napped the, the hell out of it, nothing. I tried, I call it percussive maintenance. That didn't work. Put it on a shelf. Yeah, yeah. So I tried it again about a year ago. Nothing. I was like, how am I going to shoot this camera? I'm like, if I could at least get the shutter open, I could do like a nighttime shot or something or, or go in a dark room and turn the lights on and off really quickly and make one image. And then like yesterday, I was like, all right, I'm going to play with this thing again. I just wind it and it just starts working. So it took it took two years of this thing sitting on my shelf and never firing, and suddenly it just started working. So um, um, that's my camera. The of the, it's, it's a zombie camera, so it's it's been risen from the dead. Well, this one this one will get fixed. Um, I have a Russian camera that I got to send off. That's my next. I have a. Couldn't go one of these episodes without having something that. Uh, it's a panorama time. It is exactly. I, I, I could I, I couldn't avoid not doing that. It's a Horizon two hundred two. The two hundred two, okay. Because I saw it was black. My re- uh, review tomorrow is of the Horizon, so I'll, I'll finally have that up tomorrow. Finally, it's a, it's a great camera. It has a little bit of a, it's got light leak problems in it because the seals have worn out. There's 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 two big seals right here at the end of yeah. where the drum travels that wear out. Uh, and now, can you change shutter speeds on those? 
Yeah, this one, th- I think this is the best one, I think, because it's got two drum speeds and then it's got a whole bunch of slit speeds. So you've got um, six shutter speeds and one, two, three, four, five, six apertures. Oh, wow. So you basically got a uh, high and low. And okay. the high speeds has 250, 125, and 60. And the low has an eighth, a quarter, and a second. And then wow. you got 2.8 all the way to 16. So, so as far as aperture. So you've got a lot of flexibility as opposed to the later ones, which did not have the slow yeah. speed. Yeah, I knew they had uh, the... Well, I think you couldn't even change the aperture on the, the later yeah. ones. Yeah, I've got so, the Horizon Compact, and it's only F8. Yeah. Exactly. They, 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 they cut it down. This one was a little earlier. Um, but as I said, I can't... I tried and tried. I tried Vlad. Um, I, I emailed with him. I emailed with the guy at Fed, with Fedka. Um, okay. I emailed a couple other people. And one guy, the guy at Fedka said, oh, I send mine to this guy in the Ukraine, but he's backed up for months. Months. Oleg? Oleg. That's where it's going. Uh, I I emailed him. He, he got right back to me in like a day and said, oh, yeah, I can do it in like two weeks. Just he's, he's the guy. I mean, he, he'll do a good job of it. I mean, he can do... He's like, I think the only guy who will service the drug friend, you know, that, that motorized. Everyone has one. Yeah. <laughs> they don't work. Well. Drug friend. The drug friend. No, the, the drug, the drug. I don't know how to pronounce it. Drug. Drug. What is that? I don't have one, so I can't show you, but it's another Soviet. I think it's um, clockwork uh, wind oh, up. Like a Leningrad? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's but not quite as elaborate as the Leningrad, though. I, I hear that everybody talks about the Leningrad and says, well, you need two or three of them to get one that might work. Yeah, I've I've had two. I have one still right here. Mine that, looks good. Yeah, mine does, too. The rangefinder doesn't work on it. The shutter does fire, but the curtains are like cheesecloth. I've never seen a, a curtain that has that many holes in it that hasn't completely ripped like it's it's still together. But it's like it's literally like looking through gauze. Um, but uh, the the one thing about those cameras is there's absolutely no clutch mechanism whatsoever on the film advance. And when when you fire the shutter, the the take up spool it's more like a drum, but it spins with so much force that it usually just shreds perforations off the film. So that's what I've you know, heard. Yeah. Yeah. Getting, getting one where the shutter fires, the rangefinder works and it doesn't just eat film is, is very difficult, but they, I love, they, I love the viewfinder on the Lennon. Yeah. It's they like have, no other. They have a very distinct viewfinder. It's a rangefinder, but the central image. So like picture a normal rangefinder. You usually have the, the square, a rectangle in the middle that does a double image. Well, it's not a double image. It's a prism that looks through the secondary window. So you, you use it basically the same way you would a normal rangefinder, except you just can't see through that little window. You just have to line up like horizontal line. It's it's like the the rangefinder on a on on an iconta, but made larger. And incorporate it into a single viewfinder. But it's super bright, though. So there's no beam yeah. splitter. So when you look through the rangefinder patch in the center, it's just as bright as the main viewfinder window around it. And they even have engraved frame lines for multiple uh, focal lengths, too. So it, it does have a pretty neat viewfinder. But again, finding one that works is just very, very difficult. Yeah, it's not going to happen. So, Mike, on your uh, Horizon review, are you going to see uh, 
panoramas of Mount Rushmore. Yes, yes, with, ton- right. with lots of streaks in them. <laughs> oh, you were shooting on the fast speed. I know they were doing it all of them. I could, really? I yeah, I uh, I ended up getting a second one from Vlad that doesn't have uh, horizontal streaks. It's got vertical streaks. So <laughs> you put you you you, light, you light superimpose them. Um, I th- there's light leaks on Anthony's doesn't have any light leaks. I honestly think there's just something dragging across the the plane. Because on on the the original horizon, there's actually only one speed, and all the shutter speeds are determined by a gate that opens and closes. So at the fastest speed, there's just a tiny slit, and then at the slowest speed, it just opens up more. So, so they have one one drum speed, and correct. they just do the slit width. All, all the drum spins at the same speed at every setting on the original horizon. You just control the the thickness of the slit. Yeah, and on, and, and on Anthony's, it was doing these like lines across the, I mean, you, the, the pictures come out fine. Like I, you can clearly see the, the exposure is correct. You, the focus is correct. I mean, the quality of the lens on there for being a triplet is really, really good. I do like the images. So, I mean, I'm not like ripping on the camera. I mean, I fully acknowledge that it's hard to find these things in perfect working condition. I was, uh, I'm disappointed because I just ran three rolls of film through mine and it was mostly shooting the expired triax, and I didn't have horizontal lines on any of them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Bad luck then. Not not one. I mean, you, you only, told me- only, only when I bumped it up to the faster speeds that I get the lines. As long as I kept it on the slower two speeds, I'm 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 getting really fantastic photos off. Really? Of it takes great pictures. You just got to really be careful. You can't. This one you can't point at the sun. Um, you know, the sun can't be in the field of view at all. It'll be bad. But otherwise, because of glare, yeah, it's, just, of glare? It's, leaking, it's leaking through. Yeah, but no, I'll have some. I have some nice shots on there. Um, um, and I, I go into a lot of history, like I always do, with uh, you know how the camera was made. I show uh, using mine. I actually half fire the shutter, and I stuck my finger to stop it from moving, so that you can see the slit. You know, at the different sizes. Oh, cool to show what it looks like um, at the, the fast speed and the slow speed. Um, I found it's all in Russian, uh, but um, like a two page article from when it first came out, you know, them just talking about the specifications of it, you know, Soviet cameras getting period, like contemporary articles. Like I always like to include that is really, really hard. You know, and Vlad has told me they just they didn't market cameras there like they did everywhere else. You know, it's it's really hard to find like a Russian review of a camera when it first came out. They didn't they didn't sell, you know, they, they didn't have capitalism. So they didn't have magazines where KMZ would take out a full color page article to, you know, proclaim the benefits of the latest Zenit. You know, they just didn't do that. So, you know, getting that kind of uh, um you know, additional information is hard to find. Well, we'll see what happens when it comes back. Yep. Uh, I, I'll, I'm probably going to buy a Noblex too. So sometime. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We had, Je- uh, not Jess. Um, who was the girl from Texas that had the Noblex? Liz Potter. Liz Potter. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah I, don't, I, I don't want to buy a wide Lux. I'm, I, I think just more problems. Yeah. How about a Vista wide? Not a Vista wide either. Those Vista. are really hard to find. I did see a 16 millimeter swing lens panorama. That's what I would thought the this this I, I think, think it is. Visco no, wide. you're right. You're right. That's yeah. 16 millimeter panorama. Yeah, it's called the Visco wide 16. 
10, 10 millimeter. It's like, a, it's like a tiny little horizon. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's, just... it's 10 millimeter tall by 49 millimeter wide, <laughs> according to Camerapedia. 10 by 49? 10 millimeter. 10 millimeter tall. That's one centimeter. Okay, yep. uh, whatever. <laughs> by four <laughs> by four point nine centimeters wide. Does that make you that's, happy? That's that's uh, wider than an FT 2s format. Yeah, so that's what one to five basically. Yeah, and an FT two is like one by one by four point four point eight or some four four nine or something like that. It's weird yeah. that it's only it's weird that it's only ten millimeters tall though. You think like they they'd want to use more of the. 16 millimeter. That's, that's that's Minox size film, isn't it? Yeah, but it's 16 millimeter. It just says 16 millimeter. It doesn't say that it's specialized. Um, you cannot Ekman the Visco Wide 16, so I'm on camera PD right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're All trying right. to make yourself a verb. Well, we, that was on the the last two podcasts. Yeah. Does he use Does he use perforated film? Then maybe that's why it's only 10 millimeters high. Um, yeah, not sure. One of us is going to have to get it, Theo. <laughs> I, can do. I, I, think that, I think that's a mark camera. That would be a mark camera. That's true. Is there room in your case for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, got, I've got more space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've hit that, 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 uh, mean parent point in the show. We've been recording for an hour and 20. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, you know, Skip having you on there. We started off talking about Olympuses and then the LX and, uh, and then we, we got back into Minoxes. We, we recapped last week's episode, just in awe of Robert's knowledge. Um, I already opened up the secrets about tomorrow's review. Um, I'll have one more Soviet, um, review next week for Red October 2. And then, uh, later this week, I'm going to have a Soviet lens review which I don't normally do lens reviews, but I, I think this one's pretty cool. So that's exciting. And then um, Halloween's coming up. So I'll have three more dead cameras to, to wish that would work, but I gave up on them. Uh, does anybody else have anything they want to share before we, we shut this down? Well, I was, I was just going to just briefly mention my, my adventure that I took on Saturday and that I, I drove down about three hours south to visit uh, Clyde Butcher's dark room for a personal tour. Oh, yeah. Really? And that was really mind-blowing. I mean, Clyde Butcher, for those who don't know him, they should look him up. He's a, uh, a Florida landscape photographer. Uh, you know, more or less, well, I, I, I want to say that he's working in the vein of like an Ansel Adams. Uh, yes. He's just that he's a guy who who – uh, in the seventies. And he just took his family and up and, and moved to a, a shack in the middle of the great Cypress swamp uh, and just started taking his cameras out. And he started off with the, uh, um, uh, is it a, a Deerdorf? I'm not up yeah. on my large format. Deerdorf, yeah. He started off with the Deerdorf, uh, like an eight by 10. And before he was done, he had a, a custom built um uh, 14 by 27 uh, view camera that was 150 pounds. It took four tripods to support. Um, and of course, to be able to do prints from this, he has a, an amazing custom darkroom uh, wow. where he, he can do prints that are, uh, you know, nine, 10 feet long, five feet tall. Um, and, you know, so it was just, it was, it was, it was just walking through both the, uh, the enlarging process and then the, uh, the, the wet chemical process for, for, for developing a print that's that large was completely mind-blowing. Uh, 
the couple of things that, that stood out to me from from the tour, uh, in addition just to the creativity that the that the guy had for you know these sort of printing solutions. Um, you know, several years ago, uh, a few years ago, uh, he had a stroke and it left him impaired on one of his sides. And he, he since has switched over to shooting with a, uh, like a monochrome. And, you know, I saw some of his prints. That's that the were digital, like, the digital black and white camera, right? The, the digital black and white. And I saw yeah. some of his, his large scale prints, uh, where he's, uh, printing, let's say three by four or four by five feet. Um, Wow. The, the files from the, the Leica M and they're stunning. I mean, you could, I can, you can tell it's not a film print, but there's still uh, you know, amazing work that he's getting off that camera. But the one that totally blew me away, he's going back and revisiting his large scale format negatives. The ones that were you know 14 by 27. And he's working with a printer out in California and doing uh, platinum palladium contact prints. And, um, I've seen a lot of photo shows. I go to anytime there's a museum, I'll go to a show. I've seen, you know, Weston's printing. I've seen Ansel's printing. I have never seen anything like these, these prints he's getting out of these like massive. I mean, they're, and it's all interesting. It's all custom he, for, for, for decades. Now he shot uh custom uh, T max 100 uh, film, like Kodak cuts film for him at that size. Uh, so it's like, a, you know, the finest grain possible T-Max uh, large format, uh, like ultra large format uh, negatives as contact prints. And I just I've it was like looking at something with 3D glasses on. I've never seen a print in person that had such rich you know, depth and, and uh, dynamic range as these platinum prints. They're just they're stunning. He, he did a really nice interview on the large form, a large He's uh, a super. He's, he's, the whole family is nice. I ended up, I ended up getting the the tour from his daughter. Um, Very nice. And and yeah, they're just they're the, the whole family was just incredibly welcoming. Really cool. And just the, the mostly though, what's what's fascinating is that their their creativity in solving printing problems for for printing at that scale. Yeah. Because um, they're still printing. Uh, I mean, you know, he hasn't taken a, a negative in in two or three years yet you know their their business is selling you know prints from the this life lifetime of his work so they still have a full-time staff printing you know on a daily basis out of their dark room you know i think i said to you is i i find that stuff immensely fascinating and i think it's super cool when people are doing that but like that is so far beyond like what my brain can handle oh you know like to, to, for me to even think of how i would use that i just i can't even wrap my brain around it i, I mean his I mean, his, 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 his wet room is so massive that, you know, he's got like, he's got a two-step uh, fix that he does on all of these prints. And the, the, the surface area is so large that they run the fix through silver recovery and they end up with several like half pound silver ingots a year of smelted refined <laughs> silver recovered from the prints recovered silver that from, from what they're developing, wow. you know, you know, you might, you might, a uh, home developer might have that much over a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're just, it just, I mean, I, and it's interesting because the, uh, the printing paper is all Ilford fiber paper. So he's shooting on T-Max and uh, they're, they're printing on Ilford fiber and they're developing with uh, T-Max 100 RS, which was discontinued. So apparently they've got like, of a Fort Knox of chemicals that when wow. Kodak found out that they were going to discontinue it, they allowed him to buy, you know, the bulk 
of uh, yeah. the, the TMAX RS developer. So they've got several years of chemical left, but after that, they're not sure what they're going to do. Wow, that's really cool. That's a cool story. Thanks. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to see something like that, but like I said, it would, it would be intimidating and fascinating at the same time. Oh, it truly was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I did want to add um, episode um, seven. We had Michael Kaplan on. And uh, after that, he sent me his uh, Footlander Vito three uh, with the Ultron lens. So I know, I know Anthony's a huge fan of that. So thanks to Michael. Um, I'll be able to give a review for that one, but I warned him it's not going to be till like spring. So, uh, but that's, that's my recent acquisition. Uh, Theo, did, did we, did we ask you if you got anything new? Anything new? Um, uh, apart from actually, I do <laughs> the Mamiya 16, we've already covered the that's Helena right. we've covered. Um, yeah. but I've been, um, happily shooting along with my, uh, Nikon flexes. I've got another one here as well. I'll, I'll include that in the pictures, the black version. So I've got the black and the, the silver version. So they're fairly unknown. People mistake them for, for Nikon cameras occasionally, but uh, uh, they're not. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, they'd be worth an absolute fortune. So I'm um, having a bit yeah. of fun doing that. And apart from that, shooting with the Pixels and Grain um, Collective at the moment, where we, with freedom, we're, we're getting out there, sun, sunrise, got onto a beach first thing Saturday morning and wondering why the hell I'm getting up at 4 a.m. to get to, uh, to take some pictures. <laughs> Mark, have you won um, any auctions on a Visco Wide 16 yet since we brought it up? Uh, not quite yet. Not no, quite yet. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> <laughs> so other than the the Corfield has, has been your latest um, uh, fascination, right? Yeah. I mean, so I got the Rico 35 Flex today, but it's kind of a basket case. So I'm still working on that. Yeah, those leaf shutter SLRs or basket case is probably the right word for it. I've I haven't had good luck with those. I would uh, the ones I have, the two retinas I have went to Chris Sherlock. There you go. Uh, Mike, anything new over there in Fort Dodge? I haven't bought a new camera since May, except for a, uh, an autofocus Minolta, which... Which one? Yeah, the um, 7XI. Okay, 7XI. Yeah. Which I like, but it's really, you know, it's an autofocus. Yeah, yeah. You know? All right. Um, well, thanks, guys. Uh, Skip, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and meet thanks, you. Uh, thanks it. for joining us. Yeah. I know, Mike, you've been on the mend a little bit, so it's always good to hear you uh, still kicking around. Uh, drugs. Mark? Drugs are my friend. Drugs are your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark is always, you know, I mean, I, I, again, you know, I want to thank you for hosting me in your house. You and your wife are great. Uh, I had a lot of fun out there, you know, playing with your uh, with your collection uh, we watched, uh, Mark and I watched two uh, Soviet Red um, Red Dawn, uh, and then we watched the final countdown with um, Martin Sheen and Kirk Douglas. Uh, and, and I think that there's a correlation between camera collectors and that like phase of history, like Cold War. If you've never seen the final countdown, you got to watch it. That is a great movie. But, you know, thanks guys again. And uh, we're going to have the the link if you want to join us again next week um i was a little slow this this sunday about getting the link up there but i'll promise to do better and get that posted sunday so that anybody can join and talk to us uh maybe we'll have a special guest maybe we won't but you'll have to find out and see so thanks guys for coming i uh, hope you guys have a good rest of the week thanks mike yep see ya all right Take all I, 
I have a camera to, to mail you and I keep losing your address. 